welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Jeremy Soini. He's the CEO of Face Reality. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Christine Chang and Sarah Lee. They're the co-founders and co-CEOs of Glow Recipe. Hope you enjoy the shows. Hi, Carrie. What's up, Jody? Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Who do we have on uh, the roster today? This is the CEO of Face Reality. His name is Jeremy. And full disclosure, um, they are a client of Base Beauties. And I adore Jeremy. He's such an inspiring CEO. So how did you guys connect originally? Oh, great question. Um, a investment banker that I adore connected us together. And um, he's an incredible um, referral partner, I guess is what we call it. But, you know, I just admire him quite a bit. So he connected us. And, you know, face reality is really interesting. Um, have you ever had moderate or severe acne? Okay, well, I was the girl that washed her face only in the shower with a bar of Dove soap until I was honestly like 21. And now I work for a beauty uh, agency. So I've definitely upped my beauty game, but I am very fortunate to say that I've never suffered from any type of acne. Well, it's kind of amazing um, for people who have moderate to severe acne, you know, what they're up against. So Jeremy's goal over time is to um, make sure that that person who's suffering comes to face reality first um, and not as a last resort because they do have this like 99% um, you know, acne clearing rate. But you have to work with an esthetician and not everybody even knows what an esthetician is, um, but they're kind of miracle workers for skin. So um, yeah, I really admire everything they're doing there. You know, a lot of people choose to go on um, oral medication when their acne is super severe. And what's amazing about face reality is it's an alternative to that. Um, and there really haven't been um, very good alternative to, alternatives until now. That is amazing. Yeah, I I just remember watching so many friends on really intense drugs and all the side effects. And it's it's definitely a hard journey. So uh, that's amazing to get the word out about face reality and what they're doing as well. So something that we talk about in this episode quite a bit is Jeremy as a leader. And I, I loved hearing you two going back and forth because I view you as an amazing leader and uh, head of the team. And from what this episode, Jeremy, too, just seems incredible. And uh, one, a quote that you say is, you encourage your team to be collaborators, not competitors. And I think that it goes back to your er- early uh, jobs in toxic work environments. And I feel so lucky that I haven't really had to work in a super toxic environment. So you've spoiled me, Jody. Well, you know, I'm really proud that so many people on our team, um, the people that are younger than me, for the most part, um, you know, have been able to avoid all that torture that I went through. And, you know, the people on my team who are my age or older, you know, they've lived through what I lived through and probably even worse in many organizations. And it's so nice to hear you say that, you know, you didn't have to go through any of that. Um, It's completely unnecessary. It's like, 
ego-driven BS that, you know, most of the companies I worked for, um, you know, just accepted from their employees. And it's not a healthy way to work. So um, thanks for that, because that's a a nice boost to um, hear from a team member, Carrie. Well, you're welcome, and it's true. And I almost make the analogy of, in this day and age, you know, with products, people want to see the ingredients. They want that transparency. Um, It's something that is almost becoming a requirement. And it's almost the same with the workplace. People want the new age of a work environment. They don't want the old stuffy uh, dictator type workplace. And workplace culture is, is super hot right now. And you have to create an environment that is not just about the job. And I feel like Jeremy, from this episode, it seems like he puts a huge emphasis on um, workplace environment as well with his team. Yeah, well, I'm excited for everybody to listen because they'll learn a lot from him. All right, enough about us. Let's hit this episode, episode 194 with Jeremy. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to be here with Jeremy Soini. He is the CEO of Face Reality. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Jody, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So full disclosure to our listeners, Jeremy is a client of ours, and we love, love, love this brand. Um, well, I guess I'll just do a commercial, you know, while we're at it, Jeremy. So like, <laughs> if you have moderate to severe acne, like this is the brand for you. You'll meet it through an esthetician, um, and it's life-changing. So it's so, so rewarding to work on this business. Well, thank you for that. You guys have been an awesome partner. We are a proud base beauty client, um, and you guys have certainly only made us uh, made us better. And so, um, look forward to chatting with you more about uh, how we are different because we really are different than any other uh, acne brand that's out there. Right. So this is not actually intended to be a commercial, but I do have one other thing to say <laughs> that people with severe acne think that Accutane is the only option for them, and I just want them to know it's really not. Like there are. There is face reality, which, you know, with with work, it takes time and you have to change your lifestyle and use the products diligently and see your esthetician. But you absolutely can heal your skin um, without having to take drugs. So that's my spiel for now, although I might break it into it in a little bit. Okay, so let's um, <laughs> let's go back in time because, you know, we're a career journey podcast. And this is my favorite question. Um, when you were a kid, let's say 11, 12 years old, if someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is your response? You know, I would say uh, being a Star Wars guy in the very beginning, uh, why don't we go way out there? Um, Luke Skywalker, uh, he was uh, he was the, the, the hero that stepped in. And maybe if it was a, a backup, uh, you know, I kind of grew up as a backyard football guy. So, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a wide receiver in the NFL. Um, but I've got to tell you, um, you know, since that time when I was 11 or 12 years old, that question has always given me a tremendous amount of anxiety. <laughs> the what do you want to be when you grow up question. Why is that? You know, I've just never looked at the career as a destination. Um, you know, that, that it's always made me nervous. You know, teachers in junior high and in high school start asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you feel this pressure to say it's this one thing and I've just never thought of a career as, as just one thing. I guess I would equate it to, you know, if somebody were to ask you when you're 15 years old, what's the one place that you want to travel, you know, in your lifetime? You know, none of us would say that there's one place that you want to go to. You want to go see the world. And I've kind of looked at a career the same way that I'm trying to enjoy that journey 
and to be curious and to learn as much as I can. But, um, you know, I've really enjoyed my career, but I don't think that I'll look back on my career and say what defined me was that moment or moments when I was a CEO. Um, and so I've just, I've never looked at it that way. That question still makes me nervous. <laughs> It's so interesting that you say that because it's a very like progressive view of what work is, right? To think about it as not defining who you are. It's part of your life, but it's not all of you. And it, it feels very like um, young millennial Gen Z is an attitude. Um, and I'm smiling inside because I feel like, I mean, I'm really Gen X. I'm 45, but I'm really like emotionally young millennial. Um, so I think that you might emotionally have been Gen Z before you even knew that it existed. I think you're right, and it has changed a lot over time. Uh, you know, my grandfather worked for Boeing on their manufacturing line for something like 45 years. I had another grandfather that owned a shoe store, and he worked there for like 45 years. My dad owned a shoe store, and he did the same thing for his entire career. And maybe we're fortunate that, you know, maybe it's a luxury that we don't have to look at it that way and that we are able to continue learning. You know, what's river, what's really driven me over the years isn't, you know, to try to get someplace, but it's that curiosity and the and the learning along the way. Um, you know, this is really, um, I don't know if it's a luxury or just um, gratitude to be able to be able to steer my work, right? Make choice, have choices and make choices. This is, most people, you know, go to their jobs and they resent it. And um, it's pa painful for the time to pass by. And, you know, I, I don't have that experience. Um, but I'd, I'd love to be able to help other people find an experience where they can work and make a living, but also, you know, have it not define them as much, whether it's a good experience or not. Yeah. yeah. And at a certain point, you know, it's kind of like asking that work question. It's almost like there's an, an implied negative that, you know, what do you do for work and people work towards retirement. But, you know, I, I recently, my, my mom retired and I was talking with her and I, I said, you know, I don't know that I ever will retire. Uh, I may not work as many hours at some point as I do today, but, and, and I was thinking about what drove me to, to say that. And maybe I just don't work, I, I don't view work that way. Um, I don't view it as something I have to go do. I, I do this today because I, I really love it. And I, I, uh, I want that to continue, you know, even at some point as I get older, I may, like I said, I may not work as many hours, but I don't know that I'll actually ever retire in the true sense of uh, retiring. And, it, and it's interesting, you know, even just talking with my kids who are teenagers at this point, how I want to guide them to think about work. And I'm very much trying to instill that love of work or, you know, whatever, however we end up describing it. Well, let's transition into learning more about what a day-to-day -day looks like for someone who's the CEO of a professional skincare brand. Um, and now that we're, you know, working from home and still working from home, what is it, what is a typical day like? Well, we've been shut down now for 14 months and we still haven't gone back into the office. Part of that is due to the uh, stricter regulations with California. Part of us is that we're in the process right now of opening up a, a bigger expanded office because our company is growing. But for me today, um, you know, it is still getting up and, you know, taking Zoom meetings, um, you know, every single day and communicating through Slack and email and text. And, um, you know, it's going on more, month 14 now of trying to motivate uh, a team and engage with a team and inspire a team when we haven't, uh, you know, when we don't see each other on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, our, our, our company is about 50% larger from an employee standpoint than when 
the pandemic started. And it's fascinating that many of those people have never met each other in person before. We've been having um, the same experience at Base Beauty. So I just started this peer-to-peer program where we match someone who's new to the company with someone who's been around for a while so that they're, and they, people who wouldn't typically work together to just make sure that like we're keeping these sort of like um, you know, a hallway kind of chit chat things alive. Um, and also to create opportunity because I feel like opportunity comes from knowing those like random facts about someone's background or a passion they have or, a, a, you know, a talent. Um, and that usually happens in this fostered face to face. So we're really trying to create the mechanism for that. Um, as we grow. Do you feel like that's helped? Oh, yeah, because um, we had everyone like fill out, you know, now that you've had your meetings, like tell us one fun fact about the person you met with. And, you know, we learned about people's side hustles. We learned about skills that they had. And of course, like we can put all these skills to work. You know, we're going to take advantage of the talent that we have in-house. And, um, you know, most of the time we don't have time to have these like conversations about life and dreams, right? We're just like rushing into the status meeting or moving into the work or whatever it is. So to make time for these small motions that can have huge impact is really important to us. And it is working. Yeah. We've done something kind of similar and, you know, I don't, I don't know that we have all of the answers either. And we've tried to be nimble and, you know, get better at this and, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's starting at a new company where it's intimidating when you haven't met people and you're not quite sure where you fit in and you don't know what those cultural norms are of the company. You haven't had a chance to live the values yet to see what the company's all about. Um, but we've, we've tried a few experim- experimental things as well. You know, we start off every day at 9 a.m. We actually have an all-company huddle And we try to find a mix between, you know, some business updates so that people are just informed and they can see each other, at least on Zoom, um, you know, talking about what projects are a priority for them. But we all we always end these huddles with some sort of a fun question of the day. (laughs) And I think that's the part where people really, like you said, are getting a chance to know each other. And it's everything from you know, what song do you want to listen to when this pandemic is over to, we had the funniest one the other day, our head of operations threw a, um, a question out there around if you were a dictator on a uh, remote island, what, uh, what rules would you put into place? And so we just have fun with it and you get a chance to see everybody's personalities. And I actually think that's really, really helped. <laughs> Wait, are you doing it once a week or every day? We do it every day. Yeah, we actually start every single day, uh, 9 a.m. And it's, it's actually a nice point of stability, I think, when we haven't had that stability with the pandemic. And so I, I think people look forward to it, uh, you know, just being able to start the day off and see each other's see each other's faces. And it's not all, you know, smiles and, you know, butterflies and unicorns. Um, you know, there's been a lot of tears on some of these huddles, uh, you know, with what we've gone through. And, and it has been a, a place where we can reach out and not just share those positive emotions with each other, but also just to help each other make it through. It's been um, it's been a rough 14 months. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm curious, how long do you keep the huddle going for? Is it like an hour long meeting? No, it's pretty brief. Um, generally speaking, they're 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes. Um, if people really want to get into, you know, some fun answers, maybe it goes for 20 minutes, but it's, it's pretty brief. Uh, and that way it doesn't become a burden where people feel like, um, you know, it's stealing time away from everything else they need to get done. I love that idea. I hope some of our listeners borrow that. I think that's really cool. 
Um, okay, so um, let's talk about how you go from the wine industry to the jerky industry to the skincare industry. <laughs> Take us back in time um, to your first part of the career in in the booze business. Yeah, you know, at, um, at one point along the way, my mom said it, it's, it hasn't exactly been obvious going from wine to jerky to skincare. But I, I think for me, it, it demonstrates that curiosity. And, you know, over time, the, the, there have been a few consistent points. I'm, I'm really a passionate uh, brand and product person. And, you know, specifically, I, I really get into those brands that differentiate themselves. I think I, I, I learned that passion um, working on the Barefoot Wine brand, you know, years ago when I was at, uh, when I was at Gallo and really recognize the importance of a brand standing out in a, in a way that meets those consumer needs. And, you know, as I've gone from, you know, some of those amazing wine brands at Gallo to working on the Crave jerky business that was a highly differentiated brand within that category, it really it transformed things from a gas station snack food to something that could be more chef-inspired, more upscale. Um, and even at face reality today, I don't know of another brand or another company that's out there that does things the way that face reality does things and has the level of success that it does. And so, um, you know, for me, that's the, that one consistent point is I love working and, and finding those uh, differentiating points on these, uh, on these brands. So uh, what do your teenagers think is cool about your job right now? Um, I think they see the passion. I think they see me helping other people. My teenagers have both um, suffered from um, moderate to even severe acne. Um, and so they too have benefited from, from the face reality products and working with our estheticians. Um, but I think that they, they really en enjoy seeing you know, me loving what I'm doing. Um, helping other people, not just those end clients, but all of the amazing estheticians that we partner with, um, and also the employees. So um, let's talk a little bit about leadership, because, you know, you are, um, you, you have this, like, way of speaking, Jeremy, which is so calming and reassuring, um, and I would imagine that um, everybody really appreciates, especially during this time, that that that, um, that sense of serenity that comes with um, speaking with you. Um, but the flip side of that is, you know, not every day is an easy day for ourselves and our team. And I'm curious about how you approach giving feedback and giving constructive criticism um, to your team as you help guide them in their in their roles. Yeah, that, that's a hard one. And I don't know that there's any, you know, one answer to that because every situation is a little bit different. Um, you know, the way that I approach things in general, though, is I, I really try to help our employees see the bigger cause that they're a part of so that it's not just a job. It's not clocking in. It's really helping them to understand all of the good that we're doing for so many people. So I would say that's number one. Um, you know, once they see that, you know, the number two for me is, do they feel empowered? And one of the key questions that I ask, that I ask our employees regularly is, do you feel like you have the flexibility to make mistakes? 
And I think it's really telling when you can get an open and honest answer from them. Because if they can, it means that they've, they've got the leeway, they've got the latitude to actually do their jobs, to perform at their very best. Um, I've worked at companies in the past where you don't have the flexibility to actually even make a mistake. And there's not a worse feeling in the world than not feeling like you are able to do what you were hired to do. And so I don't want to make mistakes, but I, I want people to know that they can and that, you know, if if they're empowered to go do their jobs, they, you know, sometimes you do make mistakes and that's okay. Um, you know, the third thing for me is, you know, not just thinking in the moment, you know, are they empowered, but do they see a bigger future for themselves? And, you know, I've, I've always found that when, employees see a bigger future for themselves to personally develop. Maybe it's taking a different position. Maybe it's working towards a promotion. Maybe it's working to get some different professional skills built in for them to just become better. If they feel like they have that future, um, you know, that's really motivating um, for them. Um, And, you know, we could go on and talk about, you know, culture and values and diversity and things like that. But I think that there's so many things that support, you know, those, those three things as well. Um, it's so interesting that you mentioned um, making mistakes because, you know, we're all human, like mistakes get made. I, I can't think of a mistake that has happened in my whole career that like couldn't be fixed or adjusted or whatever, right? Like none of these are um, truly crisis, even though it feels like a crisis at the time. But um, the thing that gets me is um, if I see like a lack of teamwork, that that just like, you know, that's a no, no, no for me. I have, I don't have patience for that. I have patience for errors, you know, because they're infrequent, but they happen. But when I see people um, not respecting each other, not working collaboratively together, um, that to me is a, is a real challenge. Do you feel like you've been able to do things to help motivate your team so that they are working together and not feeling like they're competing with each other? Yes. I mean, I think that's like the whole part of our culture. So when I see that happening, it drives me crazy, you know, because it's like our the whole entire company is built on the fact that like we are collaborators, not competitors, right? At other agencies, you are competing with your peers, right? Like that just the system they build. It's the total opposite here. So, you know, maybe once every four years, you know, this happens and I someone lands in a role here and starts not being a collaborator. And, you know, I have to put an end to that. But um it it really gets under my skin because all I want is for people to be able to have the career that they want, whether it's as a full-time career, part-time career, whatever it is, like build the career you want, do great work. And it only can happen um, if we all work together. Like there's no other way to do it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and it, I, I wish it was just as easy as saying that. Um, you know, it's certainly something that I try to model um, you know, that type of behavior and to make it really clear that that's not acceptable. You know, one of the things I like to talk about is, you know, I've worked in other uh, companies and other cultures where it's it's almost the loudest person is is the decision that gets made. And I, I've got to tell you, it, um, it drives me uh, batty. Uh, that drives me absolutely crazy. And so I've, I've really tried to build a culture here, you know, where I've, where I've been able to influence that is to say, you know, listen first, um, before you speak up, you know, how can we build a culture where all opinions are heard? And I think that begins to even touch on how I view diversity, which I think, um, 
you know, touches on. So it can mean so many different things, um, you know, beyond skin color, beyond ethnic background, which are all important too. But if we can build a culture where a diverse group of opinions are heard and listened to, I know that we will get to a better decision every single time. Yeah, I think what you were referring to was like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Is that what they say? Like the loudest person <laughs> yeah. ends up getting, you know, but that's not always the um, the best approach. Um, you know, this this the topic of like having multiple voices or a lot of different divergent voices um, is so important. And what's interesting is I've noticed our industry really wanting to prove it, right? Not just talk about it, <laughs> like, you know, and just say say it's happening, but not, you know, but now that like people are proving it and I've seen a lot of like really big corporations reach out to us and actually in part of the process of getting to know us, they ask us these questions. They ask us, you know, what kind of statements have we made? What kind of actions have we taken? Um, and I find that really fascinating because for a long time, um, you know, we were voices for inclusion and we would be met by clients saying, you know, no, that person doesn't belong in our advertising, <laughs> you know, and like us having to be like, yes, they do. And, you know, finally for people um, in our industry to be paying attention and making sure that voices are representative is really important, right? Like, because I am only, I am a Caucasian person. That's who I am, right? I can't be more than one person, but I can surround myself with other voices, right? Um, and it's so wonderful that people in our industry are really finally, um, willing to do the work to make sure that their customer is represented and that her, her voice is heard. I, I feel the same way. And, you know, we work for a company that is um, very diverse. Um, we're absolutely not perfect. And, you know, we're working harder to, you know, to see how can we do better. But it's, it's, it's interesting being a white male, uh, you know, leading a company who's, you know, by nature of being the CEO is in a position of power in a company for us where we have roughly 90% of our employees are female. Um, it's something I think about a lot, you know, how can I be sensitive in leading conversations internally um, and externally about, um, you know, everything around, uh, everything around diversity. Um, you know, speaking of gender, um, I want to share advice that one of my other podcast guests gave me during a show. She um, is a, a skincare marketer, and she told me that she wants to make sure that the women on her team, the young women on her team, know many, many, many years before they're even thinking about or considering having children, that this is a place where they could be a mom um, and have a career. And I think that would go for men as well. Um, she was spe speaking specifically about women. And I thought that was so fascinating, like, because when I was at Luxiton and I wasn't even pregnant and like my husband wasn't even entertaining the idea of having a child, I was thinking this is not a place for me. There's no way I'm going to be able to be a parent here. And that was years before being pregnant. So like to be able to even have these conversations with the people in your in your in your business of, you know, when you're ready or when things change in your life that we're still a company you can be at and, and um, grow at is so valuable. So I love that you're thinking about, you know, how, how people feel and how they can um, create growth for themselves in their career and the business. Yeah, I think that's great. I wish more companies would have the courage to do the right thing, not, not um, make decisions based on what they have to do, based on what the law says they have to do. But um, you know, just doing the right thing. And I think that there's a massive amount of um, talented people that are out there that would flock to companies that made better decisions to support what their personal needs are. And I think that moms are a 
a wonderful example. Um, I think there's other examples out there too, but I think that's a, a perfect one. And so, you know, we're, we're trying our best to take that progressive approach and to find that right balance and to show that right level of trust, I think is the key word. And, you know, what I've found is when you show that level of trust, yeah, you know, it pays back, um, you know, in, in spades. So um, let's round out our conversation around creating, a, I guess, defining the difference between living to work or working to live, which I, I think is the language that you gave me around this topic. So what, how do you define the difference? I don't know anybody that, uh, that um, you know, that lives to work these days. Uh, maybe they're out there. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's a decision that I made years ago to, you know, to move into the, um, you know, these types of brands and businesses. But I don't know anybody these days that, that lives to work. Um, you know, I just, I think there's so much more to, to, to life. And I think there, the, the pandemic has probably really uh, brought this into the forefront. Um, and so, you know, I, one way that I think I can be better as a CEO is to recognize that, you know, even though we've got our quarterly goals that we need to hit and they're hard, um, and we're not always hitting them. And we've got so many things that we feel like we need to get done. We've got, you know, today's priority and this week's priority and our that priority list never goes away. Um, I, I try to challenge myself and our leadership team to, to really recognize that, you know, our employees aren't any different than us. The most important things in their life is not face reality. Um, as it turns out, <laughs> um, they, you know, they have families, they have friends, they have kids, they have loved ones. Um, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I got a few years ago from a career mentor is, is he said, you know, if you assume that half of the people that you meet are going through some sort of a personal crisis, you're, you're probably not too far off. And I think it really changes how you approach not just your employees, but people that, you, that you're talking with every single day. Most people aren't forthcoming to say, hey, nice to see you. Here's what I'm going through. And it's really hard. But if you approach people with that level of empathy, um, that there may be very likely something that that person is experiencing. I think people would, uh, you know, approach uh, conversations and support each other in a, in a very different way. That's such a cool thought. I mean, it applies to just being in traffic also, right? Or being in line in the, in the food store, waiting for the line to move, right? Exactly. Every, most, most everybody is dealing with something that is completely irrelevant to where they're standing at that moment or the topic they're talking about. Um, it's really easy to be impatient with people, right? Um, and so, you know, if you think through that that person may very well be going through some sort of a really serious crisis, I, I bet you'd have, I bet you'd approach that conversation very differently. So, um, you know, it's also really interesting how you frame the thinking around your team and where their heart is that um, very likely face reality is not the most important thing in their life, in their world, right? Um, I think that's a very new way of thinking, quite frankly. You don't hear that from CEOs of most companies where they're willing to admit that like there's life beyond work. Um, have you met with resistance um, with that in the past? What do you mean? Like um, when you weren't the CEO of a company, but you were still thinking that way, um, were, were, were there leadership people who were um, trying to squeeze that notion out of you? Yeah, you know, and it, it's interesting to think as I define my leadership style, why is it that I'm making these decisions? And I think it's the culmination of all of my experiences that I've had professionally these last 25 years of, 
you know, who are those people that I've loved the way that they manage the business? And I, I've been so fortunate to have some really, really good mentors and people that I've really looked up to their leadership style over the years. And there's been some examples on the, on the flip side too, where I, you know, I, I think I've, I've, I've sort of personally noted and said, you know, you know what, when I have the ability to change things, I don't want to do that. And I, I think this is just one of those examples uh, is just to recognize that, um, you know, this isn't, um, you know, people don't need to bend over backwards every single day. And it's not that you can't ask a lot of people, you know, every business goes through surges. Every business has its high seasons where it's okay to ask people to do more and to ask people to step up. And I've generally found that people will do that, but there has to be a a cycle. You have to give people that chance to, to decompress and go make sure that they're staying connected with those other things in their life. That again is probably at the end of the day, not probably, it is more important than, you know, whatever business or company that you're working for. I'm thinking back to my last full-time job and um, a lot of people in leadership positions in our U.S. office came from another country and were living in New York, um, you know, without their families. So for them, work was everything, right? There, there was no one to go home to. Everyone was, you know, um, in, a, in a different country. So it created an environment that um, was really demanding in a way that is not um, flexible to the fact that like people had other hobbies or things to do or places to be. Um, so I'm sure your team really appreciates this thinking. And it, ma- it makes me think of um, Yustina um, on your team who leads marketing. Like she, she owns a diner with her husband. That's right. Like they That's opened right. a pandemic diner. That's right. And she's got a four-year-old daughter, Mila, and, you know, like any other four-year-old, someday they wake up with a fever. And, you know, I think you have to have that level of compassion to say that if you're a parent, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had an employer that had some sensitivity that if she, if Eustina needs to run Mila to the doctor um, and you show that level of trust, that it's going to work out just fine in the end. Because, you know, the flip side of that is that Eustina works weekends a lot of times. She works night. And so, you know, again, if you show that level of trust, I think that you get it back, um, you know, tenfold. And I think Eustine is a great example of that. Um, yeah. So shout out to Daughter's Diner. Check them out on Instagram. <laughs> and, um, you know, this idea of people being able to live their lives, I told my team, like, I never, ever want anyone on my team to have any level of anxiety, not even like 0.1% of saying, I have a doctor's appointment. I'm going to be away from my desk tomorrow at two o'clock. Like, I've lived so many years of having anxiety about having to live my life, you know, um, through work. And I don't want anybody to ever feel that way. You just do what you need to do. The work is going to get done because um, you are someone who's cognizant of quality, right? Um, and never please like have anxiety about that. That's so important to me. Um, well, Jeremy, this is so fun. I'm so grateful for your wisdom. I'm so grateful that finally we could make this recording happen. That was a really fast 20 or 30 minutes. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Jody. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jeremy. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.